I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is the serial entrepreneur Gary Kremen. Gary is the founder of Match.com, an online dating service that he started in 1993. Gary is also the founder of Clean Power Finance, an online marketplace for the solar energy sector, and Sociogramics, a financial services company that uses social media and behavioral economics to provide capital to consumers who don't otherwise have access to credit. Welcome. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. I'd like to start with your upbringing. You grew up in Chicago. What did your parents do? Both of my parents were teachers in the Chicago public school system. My dad was a driver's ed instructor. And my mom taught accounting 37 years for my father. What were you like as a kid? Probably bratty. I was kind of a habitual problem child. While I was a good student, I ended up at the police a couple times. I remember my one of my claims to fame is I broke all these windows and the police picked me up and made me go to the property owners and apologize. And me and a friend sat in the cell. And then another time we climbed the roof of our elementary school and broke a window and they took money from the Coke machine. I mean, I got kicked out of school for changing a program. And this was in the 70s and printing out some profanity. And uh, that was that kind of intellectual problem child. Did you have girlfriends growing up? I had one girlfriend, um, but I wasn't very good at it. And maybe Match.com was my way of trying to... The idea of online dating was my way of kind of maybe more, getting more deal flow, as we call it today. What were some odd jobs that you had as a kid? I spent years actually working after school in a warehouse loading and unloading trucks. Mm. In fact, I worked for this guy who was a pretty good entrepreneur who did things like when Burger King had a misprint on glasses they were handing out. Like there was a misspelling. He would buy them all at three cents on a dollar and sell them in loco bodegas. You know, and I would be loading and unloading trucks for him for years and years and years. And when Pan Am went out of business, he bought all the little tchotchkes, like the little pins they gave kids and all the the safety the safety vests that were under the seat and found buyers for it. Mm-hmm. So that was like probably my first example of someone who was who could figure out how to make a profit in the situation. You went to Northwestern. You graduated in 1985 and then made your way to Stanford Business School. Why do you think Stanford Business School accepted you? Well, um, I talked about um, being an entrepreneur, and I had kind of an unconventional background because out of undergraduate, I decided I wanted to work in a nonprofit looking for fraud, mismanagement, and waste in the Department of Defense. And I think that was different from the normal investment bankers and consultants they had. But you did work in, uh, in at, at Goldman Sachs uh, one summer. I did. During Stanford Business School. And uh, you, you, you rubbed one of the, <laughs> the, the, the managing directors the wrong way, such that they, they offered to pay you to leave. What happened there? They did. They offered to buy my summer out after about week four to leave them alone. I don't know if I rubbed one person wrong. I think I rubbed everyone wrong. So were you, did you kind of get a rise from challenging authority? Was this something that you liked to perpetuate or this is just, you know, Gary Kremen? Just the way I am, that sometimes me being there four weeks, I thought I knew as much as, you know, managing partners that have been there 20 years. 
After graduating from Stanford Business School in 1989, you started two companies because you knew you were better off with your own gig. The first was a software company and then a computer securities company called Los Altos Technologies. And it was at Los Altos where the idea for an online dating company hatched. Can you explain how the idea for Match.com came to you? So I had an epiphany one day. I noticed that we started getting purchase orders for our products. And I noticed that one day we got a purchase order from a woman. Mm -hmm. And that never happened in my history before, that actually getting email on the Internet from some woman. And we're sitting around the office thinking, I wonder if, you know, what she's like and if there's any way we could learn more about her. And I realized that, oh, more women were going to get on the Internet because back then there were hardly any on the Internet. And I realized, I wonder if I could create a database of all the women who are coming online and sell access to it and then marry number one. Hmm. Sort. Mary number one. Mary number one. That's right. This was the first woman, uh, the woman who placed this order. Did you think you might marry her? or She could have been, and I was curious. So uh-huh. I was. I wonder if I could convince her. I wonder if I could get her zip code. I had it. Actually, I had her zip code. I wonder if I could find the closest Kinko's, convince her to go scan her picture in, and then do a write-up on her. Hmm. So that was kind of some of my first ideas. Because this certainly was uh, top of mind was finding a mate. Top of mind was finding a mate. And then just not me. I noticed there was a market in it on both sides. So at about the same time, I did my first good setup. I set up a friend with another friend, and they got married. I was like, wow, I wonder if they should have paid me for that whole process. You at the time were also active in uh, telephone dating services. Uh, you would pay $2.99 a minute for these 1-900 numbers. How did they work? So um, there were newspapers out there, a lot of the alternative newspapers. All they were were a little bit of content around these listings for 900 numbers, and you would read a little short description. You would call, paying $2.99 a minute to hear a description, a more detailed description, and then leave a message. And I realized a lot of people who own not only these newspapers, but other newspapers and classified were more richer than me. In fact, I didn't have too much money, but they did, and I wanted some of their money. In 1993, you started a company called Electric Classifieds Incorporated with Match.com as your first service, and the idea was to take uh, offline classifieds and put them online. That's right. I realized that newspapers would be slow. I went to go talk to a couple of them, and I said, if I have all these domain names, I could create brands around each categories and put these newspapers out of business. So your your first subset of, of this electronic classifieds was Match.com, this online dating idea, and you bought the domain name for $2,500, which at the time, uh, you know, was a pretty hefty number. Only 5% of Americans uh, had internet access. How did you go about buying the domain name? From whom? So, you know, first I used my credit card cash advance, as many entrepreneurs do. And uh, I found the guy who was registered to, some person in Las Vegas who tried to do something in email and dating and it never happened. And I think I came out of the blue like some sucker who was willing to write a check for something that had no value. I had this vision that I could do this whole thing through email and you could say send picture of person number 27 and the picture would show up. And actually, that's what happened. That's how the early days were before the web. Right, because this was an email dating service before the, you know, the, the World Wide Web became more popular. In fact, most people didn't even know the web was going to be. There were some alternate ideas, things called um, links and 
archy and no one waste. No one knew where it was going to evolve. So we built a system that could talk to many different protocols, including faxes. People could fax in and we'd use optical character recognition and realize what they were asking for. But eventually the email service took off. We're growing at three to four percent a day. How did the email service take off? Who were some of those early adopters? Well, I, I realized something from talking to friends of mine, women friends, that I I was able to kind of understand what some of their needs were in this area that was kind of a tough area, which is putting yourself out online where everyone could see um, what you were looking for, which was kind of a taboo area. I realized that privacy, security, and anonymity were very important. So I kind of came up with the idea of the anonymous handle that would have email and really focusing on respect in the process and the belief that one woman would bring 100 men, at least back then. So give an example. So, uh, you know, Janet Smith wants to find a boyfriend, so she emails you, Gary, uh, her her picture. Or maybe she just emails her biographical info, and we would do matching in our database to find out who would be looking for someone like Janet Smith around her, and we would send her the list in email. So you would look at a database, uh, just a list of guys who had signed up? No, it was done by an algorithm that we wrote and everything like that. But yeah, basically that was the idea. It's called matching. We matched. Were you a participant in this? No, actually, by that time I actually had a girlfriend, which was hard to believe, but I did have one. So um, I was more of a looking at the process, but I wasn't touching the goods, so to speak. I see. Now, she did touch the goods and married someone from the service. Now, at the time, you had a girlfriend, so you weren't using Match.com. Have you ever used Match.com? I've never used it, not that I'm against the idea or anything like that. It was just the circumstances. You are married now. I am. And you have two children, two boys. How did you meet your wife? I met my wife um, through a mutual friend who didn't know that we were each interested. So what I did when I realized I really need to get married is I made an offer. And if you set me up with the woman I marry, you get to trip to Hawaii for two. Who did you make the offer to? Everyone I knew. What is her name and what does she do? Um, Her name's Petia, and she's a physician who specializes in integrative and holistic health care. I knew she was the one. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, maybe by date four, she knew I was the one, you know, after we worked some those issues out, like the dog thing and stuff like that. I remember uh, when I first was learning about Match.com that there was a stigma attached to, oh, joining Match.com. And people were kind of embarrassed by it. Um, that, that seems to have dissipated over the years now. How many marriages and how many successful successful matches have there been? So probably successful matches in the millions, definitely the same number of marriages, but the stigma was the biggest obstacle to success mm-hmm. and worked pretty hard to make it a safe, secure, and friendly place and kind of change behaviors and beliefs that this is a positive, not a negative. It's definitely a feature, not a bug. So what were some examples of uh, things that you did to try to mitigate that stigma? Um, absolute privacy, um, booting creepy people off quickly, throttling the amount of emails people could send to others, doing um, good matches, telling people if there was no match, there was just no match. Hmm. Truthfulness, transparency, 
the service, the email service, as well as the website eventually, started really growing 3 to 4% a day, really through word of mouth. Word. What, what was one of those catalysts or turning points that really helped to escalate the, the popularity and growth of the service? You know, one that I would say is I like to say we invented affiliate marketing. As far as I know, before we did it, no one came up with the idea of actively going out and marketing links to your website as opposed to marketing your web name and URL. And I was a big believer that let's go get the women's wire of the world to have a dating section and we'll be the back end for it. Hmm. Um, so I think the, the idea of affiliate marketing, something we all take for granted, was... Uh, was one of the ways we did very well. And two is we kept our service running. I know it's the craziest thing, but it's kind of an entrepreneurial lesson that you could have something great, but if it's not working all the time, it's kind of a suboptimum consumer experience. In addition to Match.com, you owned a number of generic domain names, uh, jobs.com, housing.com, autos.com, and then sex.com, which was later the subject of a lawsuit whom did you acquire these domain names from in the early 1990s? It was There was one organization giving them away, and I just, no one thought of going to ask. So I had an epiphany that generic words that are in the classified advertising would be very valuable one day. So there happened to be a little government contractor called Network Solutions in Herndon, Virginia, that somehow wrangled the exclusive right to give out these domain names, and they weren't getting paid per domain name because they were free. They were getting paid by, they would add up their costs and add 20% and charge the National Science Foundation for it. They were basically an office of four or five people who coordinated the handing out of IP addresses and domain names and associated internet artifacts. And they hit on, and I think about 95, that they should be charging $75 from that that later was bought by VeriSign and became a huge public company just based on the revenue from that. Did you pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, I want to buy jobs.com? So I sent in uh, to an email address um, and I said, I wanted jobs.com and I filled out a form. And I did that for all the domain names except the one that I did last, which was sex.com. And I realized, okay, I don't want this to get lost in email or someone on the other side to see what a good idea is. So I sent in a certified letter, and that was really good because there was a record of a certified letter. So going back to Match.com, you raised about $4 million from angel investors and venture capital funds, and they invested in Electric Classifieds, which owned Match.com. And very early on, you and they did not see eye to eye. What are some examples of divergent points of view? There was a couple of different divergent points of view. Uh, divergent, divergent point of view number one was, I believe that working with newspapers was doomed to fail. They were slow. They didn't get it in today's uh, vernacular. Uh, most of my board wanted to go work with newspapers, and that's kind of how they th they thought. Well, let's go work with big companies. That's good. And I felt smaller entrepreneurial companies would grab the market, and mm -hmm. I, I was actually right on that. Number two is. Once when Match took off, I wanted to focus on that. I wanted to run with the winner. And they were like, well, let's go be the outsource partner for newspapers. And I just felt too slow. We'd never get there. 
Uh, also, uh, you owned a, a number of domain names at the time, jobs.com, housing.com, autos.com, sex.com, and they were fine with, with putting all these domain names under the auspices of electrics classifieds, except for sex.com. Why did they not want sex.com in there? Well, it was one in a many series of embarrassments that traditional stodgy venture capitalists who are backed by pension funds feel. The word sex were embarrassed when I introduced gay dating. They almost had heart attacks right there and then, and they kind of told me not to do it, and I did it anyhow. Um, when I said not everyone's for marriage, some people are looking for shorter-term relationships, I think I almost got fired that day. Sex.com ended up being not just a scandalous affair, which we'll get to, but also your most lucrative uh, domain name that you owned. That's true. That's true. So that was another strategic mistake they made. I mean, I made a lot of my own mistakes, please. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm Mr. Mistake. So what are some other mistakes that you made in the early days of Match.com? So didn't understand the importance of who's on your board. Um, thinking all money is green was a big mistake. And I think I was pretty abrasive as a leader. I mean, I made a lot of leadership mistakes. I think I got the strategy right, um, for sure, but the tactics I wasn't as good at. I, I heard a story uh, that, that you fired a personal assistant uh, or, an, or an administrative assistant because she wouldn't work seven days a week. Is, is that true? That's true because everyone else was working seven days a week, and it, it felt that there's always something to do, even if it's uh, emptying the wastebasket, and I felt that that wasn't team spirit if you're going to take Sundays off. Because I was I was working Sundays and I expected everyone else to work Sundays. You were the CEO of Match.com uh, for the first two years uh, before you were ousted by the board. That's right. How did you feel when when they voted you uh, out? You know, it hurt my feelings, um, and uh, I think that was one area where they were right. I was not mature enough to see that back then. But at the time, you were just despondent and thought, these guys don't know what they're talking about. Well, I have another good story. So when I raised money from the investors um, that um, I did raise the money from, I had an offer from another set of investors, a more um, prestigious set of investors, like the best venture funds, Kleiner Perkins, IVP. And their condition on the investment was that I bring in a CEO. They had two conditions. One is bring in a CEO. And they would be let me part of the process. And two, they wanted to merge me with this other company. And I would have half the equity. And these other six people would have the other half of the equity. But no, they taught me in school, you want to be the leader. You want to be the CEO. So I said, no. So I took the people who said you could be the CEO. Now, those that company went on. Those six guys went on to change their name from Architects to Excite. And I would have had half of Excite and part vested, too. One of those, you know, couple hundred million dollar mistakes that are common in my career. And Excite went on to uh, be worth... Excite at home and worth billions at the peak. Oh, I'm, well. You left the company after two years, and uh, the company was ultimately sold in 1997 for $7 million to Sendint, which is a consumer service company. Uh, and a year and a half later, the company was sold for $50 million to City Search Ticketmaster, which is uh, owned by IAC, Barry Diller's uh, Interactive Corporation. Um, you made $50,000 from that sale. I did. How did that happen? Well, it was part of the dispute over what direction the company 
wanted to do. But actually, the story worked out okay. I'll tell you the whole story. So what happened is I said, no, let's focus on this winter match. Let's have nothing to do with newspapers. We had big fights over it, and the board wanted to do the strategy of enabling newspapers to get online. And after they sold it, after my fervent, fervent objective, the company raised lots of money and it went out of business in 2001. What company? Um, Match.com's parent, Electric Classifieds. They raised a lot more money trying to sell the newspapers, and it went out of business. Got it. So that was bad. But the good thing is I invented a bunch of things, and we got some patents. Like I invented mm-hmm. dynamic web pages, something every website uses today. Mm-hmm. So in 2004, a couple years later, I went and bought the debt in the last round, and I had a foreclosure sale to get that patent. And some other bidders came in, and I owned enough debt that on my $30,000 investment, I made a couple million dollars. So that's better than a sharp stick in the eye. So it was more than $50,000 in a very indirect manner. Yeah, it was very indirect. But the the real thing, 50K. 50K. You had given up equity along the way? uh, Oh, yeah. It's not that anyone else made any money. In fact, I think I was the only one who got any liquidity, Hmm. even 50K. They all lost everything. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Gary Kremen, the founder of Match.com, the world's largest online dating service. After the sale of Match.com, how were you doing? Well, I was, I was, I was definitely bumming about the situation, but it was in such a good time in 1997 where a lot was going on. And I, I did have some unique knowledge. So I started working uh, with a guy or two who had some ideas um, about, around collaborative filtering, something we see recommendation engines back then, and got that merged with a company called Firefly, and we eventually sold it to Microsoft. For how much? Uh, that was, I think, total $40 million. Mm-hmm. So that didn't suck. Contemporaneous with these these successful investments, you had a tumultuous period with a lawsuit over the ownership of Sex.com. Uh, you had owned the domain name and contended that somebody had fraudulently taken it from you. Can you describe that briefly? Sure. So I registered the name in 1994, first person who ever registered it. And I wasn't really focusing on it. I had all these other entrepreneurial things I was working on. And one day someone said, hey, didn't you own that name sex.com? And I'm saying, yeah. They go, no, this guy, Stephen Michael Cohn has, it's registered under his name. And I'm like, what? And I look it up and it, it was true. It did. So I found out Mr. Cohn, who is a five-time convicted felon, bankruptcy fraud, obstruction of justice, impersonating a judge, impersonating a lawyer. Um, he stole the name from me. And uh, he started, put up a website, and he was soon making about a million dollars a month off the name. Now, at the time, ownership of URLs or of domain names wasn't as um, secure as it is now because it was really still the early days. So when you say he stole the name from you, how did that happen? So initially, this is going to sound dumb, but I didn't realize how valuable the name was. I didn't know anything about the sex industry. I, I didn't realize it was such a big deal. Um, so I was, I had a little kind of investment firm and there was a lawyer just fresh out of law school named Sherry Falco. And I gave her 2,500 bucks to go investigate what happened. And that's how the whole thing started. And she found out about this. And then she got a call from the U S patent and trademark office saying, well, the reason Mr. Cohn now has the name, even whether he took it or not, is he had a trademark on the name. So we let it drop. 
we found out later that he was impersonating the USPTO, one of many things that he's impersonated in the case. Hmm. So after He had a, called her directly? Oh, yeah, and said he was from the Patent and Trademark Office. And she believed it, and I believed it, too. Hmm. And it hit us later that you can't have trademarks on generic words. So eventually we filed this lawsuit. And so you you found yourself uh, associated with the um, the porn industry pretty pretty publicly. What was your view of that? Well, um, what can you do? I needed the money. While at the time I was having legal bills of a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars a month, I needed uh, financial support for what I was doing. I didn't have liquidity for my investments yet. And how much of your mind space or of your headspace was was this lawsuit taking up while you were trying? to focus on your investing? Well, eventually it took up 110% of my uh, time. I learned the law. I read every brief, every pleading, which there was over 1,700. It's the longest case, I believe, in the Northern District. When you finally got sex.com back, what did you do with the site until you sold it? So I didn't want to run an adult site and I came up with the idea of turning it into a search engine um, because there was so much traffic and then selling those search results to other search engines. And eventually I sold it. Isn't that effectively running an adult site or perpetuating the porn industry? Okay, I didn't kill the porn industry. I had to eat. I had to pay my $5.6 million of legal bills I had. And your judgment was $65 million in damages, but you didn't get the $65 million, so... Oh, absolutely not. In fact, I've still been collecting. So all I got out of it was a lot of heartache. I did get a house eventually. I did take the bad guy's house, and I lived in it for a couple of years. Really? How did it make you feel to be like in the bedroom of the bad guy? Why would you do that? Of all houses you could choose. It was kind of a nice house. It was in Rancho Santa Fe, which is this nice area of... Yes, that's true. A yeah, nice area of San Diego. And I just, I don't know, you know, there was something to it because he tormented me so much. Yeah, there was a little redemption. I mean, some of it was functional. Some might be dysfunctional. I sold it a couple of years ago. Your income stream has been kind of erratic, it seems. You haven't had a steady flow of income. I have not, and banks are always saying something to me about that. Was there a time after you started Match.com where you were worried about you know, your, your financial state? No, because I was always living pretty low. So I was living in the Western Edition section of San Francisco in a $300 share, and I was eating burritos for years and years and years. So I kept my burn rate super, super low. And the landlord didn't like the fact that I wasn't making any money. And I don't know. So I'm actually sometimes a nice person. So I, I met this like semi-homeless guy and I let him sleep on my couch for a couple of days. And he took some pictures of the guy leaving and he tried to evict me. You have since moved away from the dating and the, the adult industry to a cleaner energy, uh, the cleaner energy sector. How, how have you made that shift? Was it a mindful shift or an accidental one? Well, I've always been interested in not always the energy part, but sustainable living and systems that would work forever and that were light touch on the environment, kind of leaving no trace. I've always had an interest in that area. So just after I sold sex.com, I invested in a friend's company and she had um, women-friendly solar panels was her idea. So I gave her money to kind of produce these, well, what I thought they were going to be mustard or taupe-colored solar panels 
uh, um, racking systems because her belief was that women were some of the big decision makers in the purchase of solar, and if and they're ugly, and if they made it, and it made sense to me. So what happened was um, not as many people were buying the mustard or taupe colored panels as she thought. And I asked her why, and I go, "Aren't you selling to all these rich people?" She said, "They don't have the money up front for it." And I had this epiphany of the idea of why not create a financing company to finance solar panels. And if the financing product would be correctly designed, the consumers would pay less than the cost of energy from their utility bill, and they'd want to sign up for that. And that actually worked out. I wrote some software that helped the installer do their job, and then they all ran this software, and then we introduced the financing product eventually. I mean, there was a lot of twists and turns. Now, Kleiner Perkins is one of the investors uh, in this in this company. Uh, who are the other venture folks? Uh, Claremont Creek Ventures, um, Google, um, Clean Pacific Ventures and a lot of individual angels, including myself. Were you at all uh, worried that your reputation would be tainted in this new chapter of yours as you were raising capital, for instance? I was a little bit. The good news is investors want to make money and, you know, any challenges in reputation stop when you have a good idea. They want to make money. They don't care about the past as much, I found. Hmm. As an investor, I'm kind of like that, too. This time around, uh, you brought in a a CEO. You knew you didn't want to be the CEO. Is that just a matter of growing up? I mean, you were 30. You were in your late 20s, uh, you know, early 30s when you were uh, launching Match.com and trying to run it. Is there anything else that that is attributable to uh, this change? Well, I've heard, Jessica, if someone hits you on the head enough times, you remember like, oh, I don't want to be hit on the head. So I remembered, I'm not that good of a manager of people. Why don't I find someone who is a good manager of people? Now, your other company, Sociogramics, which you launched in 2010, is a financial service company that facilitates lending to the underbanked. And you're using social media tools to help determine credit worthiness. What's an example of a social media tool that you might use to influence uh, responsible borrowing? Let me give you a really clearer example. Today, when someone applies for a loan, if they can't find them at the credit bureau, they're usually just denied unilaterally. But there's a lot of people who aren't in the credit bureau or don't have um, an extensive credit file. We believe that using social media, finding their profiles out there and other traces of them and other ways of verifying they're real people with real jobs, that's good enough reasons to lend to them. Your idea for sociogramics came from a personal place. Uh, What is that story briefly? So I had a great relationship with a bank in uh, Marin, California, and I knew the officers there. They knew my story. They knew my situation, and they could tailor products and services to me. The bank got taken over by a large bank, Union Bank, and it was like night and day difference. Instead of talking to the CEO when I had a need or my representative, it was a call center. And the relationship soured quickly, and it got me thinking why the personal touch is not only important from the consumers, it's important from the bank side. So I got thinking, is there a way we could use software to bring back community lending? One of our ideas is start bringing back essays and having people write about what they're going to do with the money hmm. and uh, what's there been history of repayment. As a, And I think there's a lot of efficacy to that. Well, thank you very much for joining us. I'm honored to be here, Jessica. My guest has been Gary Kremen. 
I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. <laughs>